Hi, everyone. Welcome to Office Hours. Great to have you here. If you're watching on YouTube, you can find out more about what we do, what we do always at officehours.global. Our first hour is a general discussion of production and IT-related topics where we answer audience-submitted questions. Second hour, typically a deeper dive into a topic. Today, we're heading east and southeast to Florida, where our own Jeff Keithley is doing a pretty complicated live broadcast involving tennis matches. He's going to be there with our frequent Office Hours panelist, Sky Gleason, and the whole crew. And Jeff will be breaking down the setup and taking us on a live remote tour of what he and the crew are doing. So we're in, for, in store for an extremely interesting second hour today, I suspect. But this is the first hour. So, Mitch, it is time for us to dive in. What's our first question today? Good morning, Bill. Thank you. Our first one coming in from Jeffrey Powers in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, Microsoft announces support of Windows 11 on Apple Silicon through Parallels. Well, probably not a good idea to run vMix this way. What programs could you run that are Windows only? And Courtney's going to start us off this morning. Courtney? Probably not all the ones you'd like to run because it has to be Windows on ARM um, uh, version of Windows that you're going to be running, which isn't compatible with a lot of stuff out there. They now have apparently have an x86 emulator that runs on the Windows on ARM so that more x86 applications can run on it. Uh, but uh, they say that uh, a lot of drivers, Chrome doesn't run very well, a lot of games won't run very well, <clears throat> if at all, and the license will cost you $199. So um, you might be better off just to <clears throat> go buy a $200 stick PC and uh, run your Windows program. This comes with a licensed version of Windows 11 Pro on it, so, you know. Get you a KVM in one of those instead of running it. Parallels, you're going to pay 79 bucks for, and then a $200 license for Windows 11 on ARM, which you couldn't even license before now. Uh, you could cheat. But uh, now they're making a Windows on ARM license available as a freestanding license. I was reading through this question the first time I was going, boy, that's a lot of abstraction there. You got, you're running a, a non-resident operating system through Parallels. It just gets complicated there. Guy, you had a thought? Yeah, I'm watching it install right now on my M1. I've been using, uh, my, and it's 99 bucks a year, so you're already halfway there to Courtney's solution to buy a $200 computer. Uh, and a lot of people don't realize it on a Mac, Microsoft Remote Desktop works amazingly well. So on an M1, I, I do it all the time. I wind up just use, remoting into my local PCs. It's got to be uh, Pro, though, so you have to have Windows Pro to remote use Remote Desktop out the gate. But, man, it works really, really well. Uh, it, it's funny because I have a little MacBook Pro that's uh, 2014, and uh, I tap into this monster PC that I have, and like I could do Premiere and open up Red Cine X, and I'm doing like all this complicated stuff, and they're like, "Man, no, that computer's really fast." I'm like, no, it's not. It's not this computer. It's actually a different computer. So uh, Microsoft Remote Desktop is a is a better way to go if uh, that's only an ARM based uh, solution. Looks like it's ac asking for access to my video camera right now. So installation well, assistant. Check back complete. in and let us know how it's going. That's fascinating right. that you're able to do that on that older computer and get good performance out of it. Well done. Uh, let's dive into the next question. Josh Kaufman, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, asking, what is the best testing procedures to prove out and stress test an Internet connection for a stream? What should I look for in a looped video to stream? And where might I find said content? Courtney and Jonas are going to help us out. So, Courtney, start us off. Well, luckily, I write a lot of software, so I wrote my own uh, multi-viewer. And this is what I used to stress test. It's uh, nine copies of Xbox videos 
with a lot of action going on in each frame, all running simultaneously. Now it's feeding out full frame right here, but uh, Zoom is you know, running at about four frames per second. I think it can't really encode it and uh, carry it at the full frame rate. It's going out full frame rate on all of those windows, but you're seeing it kind of uh, haphazard hashedly. So if you could create something like that with a lot of independent movement and individual frames uh, composited together into a single you know, frame, uh, compression algorithms have a great deal of trouble with something like that, where it's a moving camera, or, or even just an Xbox game, where it's a POV uh, you know, shooter. Everything's moving from uh, frame to frame. That stresses the encoder quite a bit. Jonas? Yeah, so what I would say is, first of all, it starts with the settings of your encoder. So what you should do is decide in what type of environment you are. Are you in an environment where you're heavily bandwidth restrained or do you have enough and you just want to make sure that you actually have enough of your bandwidth? If you're heavily constrained, figure out how much bandwidth you can have. There's multiple tests, iPerf and similar tools that are more from the networking space that you can use to get your total path bandwidth. Do also keep in mind to test it at the same time and like most similar to when you stream, like testing it on a Sunday in an office building doesn't really help you if your stream is on Monday at eight when everyone comes in and starts checking their emails. Um, and then what I also would say, is some encoders do have a bandwidth check tool. And then for video, what you should have in there is the worst case. So like Courtney said, Courtney has this one that uh, messes it all up. Um, if your encoder is set to CBR, you should be able to use any typical video. And I would try to use a video that's similar to what you stream and then look for that. I also would look for packet loss if you use a protocol like SRT that should also already give you reporting over packet loss. And then depending on where you are, you might even want to check um, if you go to a.rtmp.youtube.com or to b.rtmp.youtube.com how that path is different. You can do that with a tracer T. And then that way you know how your packets are routed and you can look for failures downstream. And then I mostly have all the status pages for all the providers I rely on open at that point as well to check the internet connection, keep it open. If you see like an outage two hours earlier that they say it's closed, it might not be closed and impact you still. Mitchell. Yeah, all good answers. Um, in a pinch, a sporting event where it's a wide shot with a lot of crowd people, applauding and doing things uh, that tends to stress the codec and uh, punch up your uh, internet stream. And please no big bunny. <laughs> Mine used to, my favorite used to be, there's a huge tree in Balboa park here in San Diego. And I went down and shot it against a setting sun backlight. That is one of the most difficult encoding processes at all. Huge tree, lots of leaves moving against sunlight. Every pixel changes all the time, but those are the kind of things that stress test these things. Chris Fenwick. Yeah, uh, if you recall, I, and I, I'm going to give you a whole bunch of information that I can't remember. There was a woman that Alex had on the show who was an encoding guru that he used to work with and then went on to work at Google. I can't remember her name. I apologize. Colleen, Colleen Henry. Henry. <laughs> yeah, very good. That is the answer we were looking for. Uh, and then um, she had a video that she recommended, actually, and she actually shared it with us. I can't remember what it, it was. A, it was a video of a it was a 4K shot of people at a parade with tons of activity in it. Um, and I was just looking for it, but uh, I can't find it. I should, I should store things safer. Anyway, 
anything with a lot of motion. Water at the uh, beach is really good too to test. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, good. Hopefully, uh, Josh, that helps you give gives you some methods to pursue. Let's go to the next question. Alton Christensen from New York, New York. Film for a project was delivered on an XFAT formatted hard drive with a folder of DPX files, 48,000 of them. Opening this folder is crashed Mac OS Finder, a Linux server, and a Windows 11 laptop. What are my options to get these files? Ah, and Guy's going to save me because I thought I was going to have to answer this, and I'd much <laughs> rather have Guy do it. Guy, take it away. <laughs> I haven't done this in a long time, but Adobe uh, After Effects, if you go to open and you say uh, on the first file that's in the folder, you say open image sequence, it'll open it up as a sequence and I'll string along. And it's the same thing for TIFF sequences as well, and it should work in Adobe Premiere. You're not going to be able to edit that with, uh, with very much ease, though. You're going to need a pretty powerful computer, so... Uh, and then from what I remember, there's a license to edit DPX. So it's not just like uh, plug and play. You're probably going to have to kick it out to another format if you just want to extract some of the, the footage out of it. But yeah, it's open image sequence. DPX goes way back. Boy, that reminds me. Uh, Chris Fenwick. Alton, I noticed you said uh, opening the folder crashes the system. Is it possible that you can just copy the data off of that XFAT drive? It might be the XFAT's problem the it may not be the files problem you may try copying the files off onto a, a mac os extended journal whatever try a different drive yeah I, I that's not a bad idea you know whenever you have any kind of corruption like that it's always a good idea to use some tool that does a bit for bit copy and try to get it off of that drive with that directory and maybe over to another thing that can refresh all of those so i might pull out carbon copy cloner or some some similar tool let's move on to the next question I have a question, and it's uh, using a new Dante Avio to feed AES audio out of my mic channel. Problem, the AES digital output comes into the network at a very low volume. Any ideas why? Alexander. Well, I can't speak to Dante, but with the AES output, it should be using the same exact output as the analog output at the end of the chain on that channel strip. Um, I'm just curious, uh, the cable that you're using, are you actually using a 110 ohm AES cable and you're not using just a regular analog audio cable? Mm. All good stuff with the right connectors and such. And uh, the problem, Alexander, is that um, I can plug it into another uh, AES EBU input like on my console behind me. Everything's just hunky-dory. So I'm just trying to figure out why this guy doesn't like uh, doing AES output from the uh, AES output on my mic. Channel. Okay, so it sounds like something else is going on then. Something else is probably going on. And I know you can't, on Dante, you can't adjust the uh, the volume or you can't do any you know DSP-related mixing. It's just uh, routing and um, setting inputs and outputs. Fenwick has a thought. Chris? Is there a version of a cloud lifter that uses Dante? Just a thought. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I think that's digital, digital, not analog, digital. Anyway, wait a, let's... Wait a minute. I might have one in a trash can here for you, Chris. <laughs> let's move on to the next question. All right, moving on. Chris Fenwick from Emeryville, California, and here in our panel. Would you like to share what I figured out about the Elgato key light issue we discussed the other day? It may be interesting. Well, someone has put their name in. His name is Chris Fenwick. Chris, tell us about your own question. <laughs> As everybody knows, uh, intermittent problems, you know, things that don't show up all the time, things that behave differently, things that suddenly change are super frustrating in this business. 
if you're not familiar, the Elgato Keylight has an app that you can put on your phone, uh, on your computer. It it allows it to f- search out and find the lights through their MAC address or IP. I don't I don't understand half this stuff, uh, but I do know that mysteriously mine stopped working. I also know that Nigel uh, has zero problems with his key lights, and other people have persistent problems with their key lights. After doing a ton of reading yesterday, trying to figure out something to try, something, somebody said, yeah, just unplug your wireless you know, airport router thing for, for a couple of minutes. They said, go outside, have a smoke. I got to say, I've never tried smoking before. <laughs> I'm not a fan. We do not recommend uh, this, ladies and gentlemen, particularly if you're one of our younger listeners. This is not office hours. Apparently, there's calls. something about introducing carcinogens into your into your lungs. No, uh, I did reboot reboot the uh, router, and uh, it's been fine for 24 hours. So we'll see. Really? So the router needed a reset in order to fix it's, an avio there's problem. Some, there's something about an avio. Here's here's what somebody speculated on on the internet forum that I read. the The first time the router connects the light, it says, "Oh, this is what you are." If anything changes, and like you know, like a DHCP kind of thing, if anything changes, uh, the router will remember what the light used to be called. So when you reset it, it goes, oh, you mean that one? Oh, you mean that one? And that's why you can reset it, and it seems like it's going to work, and then it stops working again. So it's like, oh, you mean that one? And so they said, just unplug it. One cigarette apparently is part of the equation, and uh, plug it back in, and it worked. So some kind of boot ID. That's interesting. Jonas is very technical. Jonas, help us out. What Do you know what's going on here? Do you happen, Chris, do you happen to know what band your router was on before and after? Are you talking about the 2.5s and the 5 gigawatts? Yeah, and then within those, there are different channels, because like that also could be something where, because oh, I, like, yeah. I never had any issue with mine, probably yeah. will have issues I, I, tomorrow. I don't but. know, but it did take, I, I will say that it took me a while to figure out that the key light doesn't work on five gigawatts, so you have to turn it to the two point four. Um, but that had been changed. I do realize that the different bands have channels, and and I, no, I don't. I don't know any of that. I'm not. I'm not that deep into this stuff. I gotta get the image out of my hand of Ready Kilowatt doing a jig in that. That's not the right. Somehow I'll get that out of my head. And I think we've covered this. Uh, Chris, you're holding up your fingers. Did you have another thought? Oh, I was going back to my, my smoking. Oh, Remember one puff, cigarette, puff. reboot the router, everything will be fine. So you need a five minute. I don't even know how long a cigarette takes to smoke and I'm happy. I don't anyway, let's move on at 10 bucks and a pack. You should enjoy it and take it slowly. Chris, be careful. David Brady from New York, New York is here with a question. Blackmagic Design ATEM Extreme, is it possible to create a custom streaming profile that has a persistent streaming key pre-populated? I have a need to simplify a setup, but not having any luck. It's good to have Jonas here. Jonas, take us into this. No. So one of the issues, you can create your custom presets, and you know these presets. It's an XML file. There's a couple of tools. I'll put some in chat that allow you to generate a custom XML 
but black magic in their current iteration uh at the stream key or the stream name depending on how you want to call it on the rtmp implementation at the end again and if you leave it empty they still add something at the end that makes you not able to just put the url in i've tried it for a couple times one thing to note though is if you see that it's actually not stored on your computer so what you could do is set it once on the atom and never touch the atom again and it should keep the stream url from after reboot because it stores it in there one also important thing if you do something like that and you go into the custom type of uh, stream target make sure that all the pcs that are connected all the devices that are connected to that have the same because sometimes atom software control can bug out if one has a specific streaming target that the other one doesn't have and that can become really ugly real fast Ooh, a warning. Excellent. Uh, let's move on to the next question. Andy Kokendorfer from Vieira, Florida, asking, what is the process to join SSL-only Zoom meetings set to require authentication to join, authentication, sorry, to join, and passcode with Zoom ISO? Ah, Jonas is going to help us out again. Jonas? And one of the great things that Zoom ISO version 2 has done in comparison to version 1 is there's now, if you open it up, there's this login with Zoom. If you log in with SSO that way, that's one way to get the correct token into your Zoom ISO system to then join that specific meeting. The other way could be if that if you have control over the organization or they're happy to give you uh, some form of control, you could use the API to generate yourself a SAC token, a Zoom access whatever the case stands for, token. And you can use that token then and use SAC join to join the meeting that way. Boy, I'm glad you're in the panel today because I didn't want to have to try to answer that because I would have made an absolute hash of things. Uh, let's go on to the next question. From Guy Cochran in Seattle, USA. What was it like at Integrated Systems Europe, Jonas? Any booth highlights? Ooh, take us take us over to Europe. Jonas, how did so, it go? ISC is in Barcelona. It's in a beautiful city. It is a very interesting convention because there were like vendors from Canix Bus that do more of the typical building automation. Then we had some vendors like Epiphan, Canon was there showing the PT sets, a lot of integrator stuff. And then like the typical uh, big Crestron system, QSIS, all of those things and there was like a whole hall that was full of custom built uh, audio rooms that were just built to the liking of the audio manufacturers where they were demoing the latest and greatest tech in audio there was some crazy audio there was also an iot a full hall of iot but i think what was the most amazing thing to me is that our industry i don't know why and a lot of people don't know why but somehow our industry got together through COVID and now realizes that we can't really work without each other. And there's like so many integrations. Like ISD was the convention of integrations and everyone tries, like you go to a booth and the first thing they want to talk about is, yeah, we integrate with this thing now. This thing is now fully integrated in our system. When you go to the Epiphan booth, they have a Canon PTZ. The Canon PTZs were everywhere. They were like crazy everywhere. But then Canon also shows automated electrode captioning and shows an Epiphan product. Then uh, you go to the typical Zoom, Teams, Webex, Cisco, everyone had 
like, oh, here is how it looks joining a Teams meeting out of a Zoom room. Here is how it looks joining from a WebEx Connect. Like, finally, there's this like sense of, hey, let's actually build something that works for all of our users and not say, hey, you are not user enough enough. You need to buy everything from our ecosystem, which I found really great. And like, that's just what was everywhere, like open standards. There was a lot of standard people there that wanted to get the same protocol to talk from A to B, and then just a lot of openness to have integration and integrate with each other and uplifting those integrations. Like you wouldn't believe there's a Microsoft booth and a Zoom booth, and they both showed a competing product working in the rooms product. It's kind of crazy. That actually sounds really hopeful. You know, I, I used to interact a lot with a CEO who talked a lot about silos inside a corporation, how this division wouldn't talk to that division, wouldn't talk to the other division, because they all felt like they were in so much competition with each other. And it really damaged the company because they needed to talk back and forth in order to do things better for the customers. It sounds like what you're saying is you you had that same kind of spirit that killed the silos and lets everybody... Uh, improve the overall industry so that our users, our consumers, and everybody can do well. Is that kind of what I'm hearing from you? Yeah, it's really interesting. Like, not many booths were just that company's booth. Like, every booth had, hey, and here's tech from these other people. Interestingly, like Magic was one of them that because they have everything, there wasn't much integration shown there. But, like, from Canon to like other, like, integrators that wanted to show off their cool automation system is oh yeah that now also works with Qsys and with crestron and yeah like a lot of openness and let's work together on this boy wouldn't that be great if everybody's jobs got a little bit easier coming up in the next era because this is happening right now let's all yeah. keep our fingers crossed and uh, continue to push for that let's go to the next question right now from douglas carmichael and douglas asks when Jonas mentioned that fox sports probably brought in the BBC engineers to help with the HDR-SDR conversion. It made me curious as to what that would entail. Would it just be setting up an FSHDR or similar box? I'm going to let Jonas rest his voice for just a second. We're going to do Guy first, then coming right back to Jonas. So, Guy? Yeah, so I was fortunate enough to actually go in that truck, that Game Creek truck. Here's a behind-the-scenes picture of that spot where that guy sits, and I got to meet him, and he actually is an office hours viewer. And so this is his uh, uh, paint boxes where he could shade the cameras. He's got a Telestream Prism right there, uh, $21,000 system. He's able to route uh, all of his video around. He's got comms there. But it, it's not as simple as you would think. He was telling me that the uh, the quality of the pixels is, because we went into this whole 4K debate about... Uh, is, is the uh, broadcast going to be 4K HDR? And it, it wasn't. It wasn't for true 4K HDR. But they were able to put this LUT on there that just makes things look amazing. And they were talking about how people on the other end were calling them up and like, this looks amazing, 4K HDR. And they didn't realize that it was all just the magic of knowing what you're doing with stretching these colors out and getting the maximum amount they could out of these cameras. So there, there is a professional in that truck, and he's not from the UK. He is a U.S. person. Since Jonas was name-checked, Jonas, what do you got to say? What I'm So there's multiple... It's not just setting up FSHDRs. If they even use FSHDRs, there's also more um, advanced paint boxes. There is not only the whole grading that happens before, the whole matching all the cameras there was about, I think, more than 70 cameras that all needed to look with one cohesive look. But then there's also a lot of technical of managing a whole pipeline that at some point is maybe HLG or 
another HDR standard then needs to be broken down to SDL and then another HDL feed that allows you to have both. Then you need to somehow manage that both look great. There's some really advanced slots that um, have multiple dimensions for that, that the BBC and some other broadcasters have been working on. So that's why I mentioned it probably could be some of those uh, people there. So uh, basically, HDR is having an effect that everybody's having to up their game and up their technical game in order to make these new standards uh, workable for the entire industry. We're living in times of change, I guess, again. Let's go to the next question. Andy Kokendorfer from Vieira, Florida, asking anyone attending the streaming media drool or the streaming gear and how to use it session today. Uh, I, I had not heard that it was coming up, but I like the uh, the hyphen adjective here. <laughs> Drool-worthy, I think, is going to be one of my new, uh, uh, maybe or maybe not. Uh, anyway, it uh, looks like Courtney has a thought on it. Yeah, maybe we ought to issue an office hours uh, bib for the Drool-worthy. <laughs> when we're talking we're about high-end gear, yeah, I think that's one of our favorite adjectives around here. And an extra large wallet it comes with. Yeah, that's true. Uh, let's move on to the next question. And Talalak Lopez Waterman in Roanoke, Virginia right now uh, asks, could Jonas Ionis speak a little bit about Playout B version 2? Jonas? Yes, so uh, Talak probably, as a lot of people, got um, an email today that Playout B version 2.0 is in a first beta release that is coming out. So I'm going to show you a little bit. This is the new interface. One of the things that a lot of people have requested in the past is... Uh, my eyes are burning as soon as I open up that interface in a dark production room. Can you please make it darker? There is now a dark mode that uh, works really well. Then you can open up your output. Um, this will look a little bit different on the Mac OS because Mac doesn't have a frame currently. So you can do a fake full screen for those that uh, use Zoom ISO on the same machine and other apps that require you to not use separate spaces per display. And then one of the cool things is we have, this is a PNG that you can play. You can just play it. It's going to show that for 30 seconds and then stop. Um, there's music, um, there's MP4s, um, still the same limitations codec wise, but the containers are a little more broad now. So you can use um, MP4 or MOVs as long as it's an H.264, H.265, VP9, AV1 or VP8 codec. Um, it depends a bit on the platform, so we're still not putting out a full list on what codecs are supported. And then one of the little uh, cool new things is you can click the setting button, which brings all these new settings in. So if you're having trouble with a bunch of clips that you get from your client not being loud enough or too loud, you can per clip change the volume to make sure that all of those are on a cohesive volume state. Then you have the action. So the action, you can select pause, play next, go to next loop, reset, which you in the past could only select on a whole playlist level. Now it's on a per asset level. So you can say, hey, from this 10 minute countdown, go to this intro and then from the intro, prepare this next thing so we can be ready. Um, reset brings it back to the start. And then you can also rotate it. So if someone sends you a 9 by 16 image and you need it 16 by 9 or the other way around, or someone just turned around their camera, you can just simply rotate it around. And then one of the um, things that I know a lot of 
people here in the panel are excited about, you have endpoints. So you can say endpoint, up point. And if I now play this again, it starts at four, uh, four minutes and two seconds. And one really cool thing that's coming now is a little one of my favorite API commands. And everyone that works, ever has worked as a play out or probably knows during rehearsal, it's okay, let's play that thing. And 10 seconds into the thing, the TD or your producer calls, yeah, let's play the last 10 seconds. I'm bored of this clip. Let's just play the last 10 seconds and do the transitions. PlayerB now has a API command slash API slash last, where you can give it an amount of seconds that you want. That, and it will jump to the last 10 seconds. So on your stream deck, you can have a button that just brings you to the last seconds, brings you to any point in the video, but the last seconds is relative. And then you also have a go-to where you can have plus minus. So one really cool thing that um, I've been doing is you can put these API commands in companion on the stream deck plus, and then use the knobs to shuttle through the, the, uh, the timeline. And then one of the things that's coming with an upcoming version is that you then can push a button for in and out points so that they will be set automatically. Yeah, I think that's it. It's a whole reworked interface. There's still a bunch of bugs in the disco. There's a list of known issues and the Raspberry Pi image is still waiting a little bit. But yeah, oh, and one really cool thing is if you go here in the tray, there's now a whole tray menu where you can open the control window, the output window, or you can say, hey, actually, I don't want to like, I don't know how to move my my output there. So I can say, move the screen one. Now it's here. And then I can say, uh, toggle full screen, bring it always on top, and then even say, prevent display sleep. So if you're one of the people that would use um, a laptop for playout, you can prevent display sleep. This is a deep hook into the APIs of the OS that all of the OSs give us that allows me to say, hey, actually, the user has indicated we would like not to turn off the display and start the sleep mode because they're kind of getting ready for the show right now. So, uh, yeah, if there's any issues, you can uh, reach out on the Discord. I'm giving you beatnik applause because I think this is an excellent Upgrade. Thank you, Jonas, for all your hard work. And we got a lot of questions on it. So, Alexander Knight, take it away. On both Mac and Windows, is the playback mostly CPU bound, or are you doing any GPU acceleration at all? Um, it depends on what renderer you use on the output. If you use the current Window-based ones, it is not hard. Uh, might be GPU accelerated. It depends on your GPU. Um, if you use other renders, it probably will be CPU bound. But in all honesty, I mean, I have all types of small NUCs that just work. Um, performance hasn't been an issue. And now on the Pi, the image isn't there yet, but we have an image that works and it plays everything smooth. We had a couple of people test it. There's just some audio issues that are upstream of our code that we'll be working on to uh, get released. And John Preto. Nice work, Jonas. Uh, why does your playout window output window have a title bar on it? Mine does not. Because you're on Mac OS. Um, it's one of the things that we're still working on to have persistent window state. So you, it remembers where the windows are. It's, it's really complex to find out what window displays you had and if it's the same display. 
because the ID doesn't always match up, but that's something that is in the work. And then it'll be able to toggle your uh, macOS window to either show the frame or do not. But till that is in place, you can use the menu bar or the tray icon to move it to a separate screen. All right. Excellent. It's great to hear what you're doing. And it, again, I just think this is amazing. You keep developing this into a better and better functional tool for all the people who need it, which is a lot of people. Next question. From Stefan Fischer in Würzburg, Germany. I discovered that an old intro movie was still applied to my Zoom waiting room. How can I get rid of this? When I logged into Zoom website, I could not find or see it in the waiting room preferences. Hmm. I don't know if we have any Zoom wizards here. I know that we have a few people on here who do uh, waiting rooms and spend a lot more time in Zoom than I do. Um, Jonas will help us out here, Jonas. What I would say, um, if we go through the history of Zoom releasing additional features to the waiting room, there's been the old waiting room, then there was quickly a new one that caused so many issues that it was rolled back to the old one. And now we have a completely new waiting room experience. So what I would check is enable the new waiting room experience that might be a checkbox depending on your account level to enable that and place a video there that should override the old changes from that without a change and bring back and remove that video and then you can go on from there. That sounds wise. Zach Phillips also had a thought. Zach? Yeah, I also just wanted to mention that in the Zoom preferences right now, there are lots of uh, windows that are exactly the same across multiple levels, you know, so you can set things at a group level, you can set things at an account level, and you can set things at a personal level. And at the group level, you can actually lock things to be the same for all your users. And you can also do that at an account level. So how many layers of that and where you put the locks in, watch those things, because I think you might see problems there. Well done. I think this is your first answer on the panel. And so it's great to have you here. We hope you come back often. Nice to see you. Uh, next question. From John Foltz in Sealingsgrove, Pennsylvania. John asks, could Jonas describe key and fill with Playout B to a deck link? Thanks. Jonas? Yes, at the moment, that is something where we need the help of uh, one of the softwares that we integrate with. VMAX OBS being uh, the commercial or the one of the software sites, and then when you also have um, the availability, what we use a lot is Casper CG. We bring the Playout B output into Casper CG and then output over that link of that. That way you can have a fully headless server that just outputs key fill. And a real cool bonus with Casper CG is you can also have it have a second channel that is your graphics. So now you can have SPX, HDR graphics, GFX.live, simply live like all of those graphic solutions you can also have in there and we have found it works really great um it's a little more on the developer side so it might take a bit to um get set up but one of the things i want to release is like a little sample file how to get a uh, key fill out of player by using casper cg mitch this might be a, a sub question uh, my question is do the files have to be separate? Do you have the main file and the alpha channel file or Hikon, or do they have to be combined like in an animation codec or in ProRes Quad 4? Yeah, PlayerP doesn't support TrackMate, so you would need to use a codec that supports it. VP9, VP8 is great at that. There's a couple tutorials on WebM, and there's a really simple uh, FFmpeg command you can use on macOS. You use ProRes 444, I think maybe another four always get confused with the amount of force that you need. Um, so after four force, you can then put it into FFmpeg and there comes a great WebM house 
um, out and then on Windows, it's funny, there's like a GoPro codec that happens to have transparency that works great exporting out of uh, Resolve into FFmpeg and then fixes it that way. Some form of Cineform, maybe? I thought GoPro generally used yeah, Cineform. Yeah, I, I, I think it's Cineform something. Nice. All right. Next question. From Douglas Carmichael, what vendors would offer accurate weapon sound effects for game and VR projects? I've heard the name Sound Ideas before. Mitch, continue. Sound Ideas have been one of the uh, the giants out there uh, from Canada that uh, has just about everything. But uh, along comes a company called Hollywood Edge. I don't even know if they're around anymore. That put out very specific CDs for very specific types of weapons. So if you use uh, any of those two, and if you're just searching for a one-off sound effect that you want to use, SoundDogs.com. So Chris Fenwick, I was going to say SoundDogs. Also, um, I've used them for oh, good grief, twenty-five years maybe. SoundDogs, and and. Uh, it was interesting. It was one of the first companies that I reached out to. And for some reason, I can't remember why, but I needed their logo larger. I was making an icon for my desktop or something. And they absolutely, you know, I sent an email and they absolutely sent it to me. So it was, uh, uh, but, but very useful website. Uh, as with all either music or sound effects, trick is in your searching abilities and searching skills so be patient You'll probably find what you need on sound docs courtney yeah and you use the word accurate sound effects for gaming or vr and when it comes to weaponry accurate usually isn't what's used uh because they inhale they use howitzer recordings for you know six guns so uh, it depends on what makes the most impact out there, so there, there's a lot of creativity when it comes to uh, dynamic effects uh, in games. So it, it, what you hear may not be accurate to the individual weapon; it may be enhanced somewhat. Mitchell, yeah, it's also how they mic them too, um, like a you know 38 Michael pop 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 like that, and you're like, wow, that doesn't sound like it does on TV. And to Courtney's point, uh, if you mic it a certain way, sometimes you can get away with getting that big massive explosion and the reverb that goes along with it i too have spent a lot of time on sound dogs over the years and have they've almost always taken care of me i like the fact that you buy one thing i just need the sound of a tugboat bell so you go in there and it, just a few bucks and you get that one sound and it's done next question from alexander knight in vancouver british columbia canada uh, Alexander asked, Avid has done something I never thought they would do. They've released a developer kit with an API access to script Pro Tools. goes pretty deep. Initial thoughts? Uh, and Jonas, Jonas, you're a developer. Um, How's it been? I haven't played with it. I haven't seen it at all. But all I'm going to say is that's exactly what all of ISE was about. Hey, let's actually open our program up, let other people build a solution on top of us, because what everyone wants to be is the platform where other solutions are built on, because they have solutions to their own marketing. They sell themselves, but you're still required. So um, Premiere had that for a long time. All the Adobe products have the CE script. Um, I think it's a great to see more APIs being becoming out there in the wild. Alexander Knight has a thought too. Alexander? Yeah, I'm not a software developer, but it definitely opens up the possibility for a lot of creativity. So I'm really excited to see what developers actually do with this. 
Uh, I can certainly think of many scenarios where I could automate a lot of different tasks that I do um, to speed things up. But the interesting thing that I find about this is that Avid, I've noticed the change, and I don't know if there there has been um, a shift in management uh, internally in the company, but Avid has historically always dragged their feet on a lot of things. They're not the first to market with a lot of stuff. They always get a lot of flack for being behind a lot of digital audio workstations. And I think one of the great things about competition as there have been more players that have come on board is that it's actually pushed them to um, improve the product a lot. And so I did not expect this and I just think it's fascinating that they're doing this. So maybe this is a good direction for the company, so. Uh, let's see, Alexander, Zach Phillips wanted to get into this, Zach? Yeah, I just wanted to say, I think I'm, I'm excited whenever anybody opens up any of these things, but for a company like Avid, which has historically not played well with others and that, you know, I think it's, it's actually, uh, it's, it's going to be a tough ask for developers because the first person to do it is going to be the first person to do it. And that's a big risk if it doesn't work well, et cetera. And um, I think that I would have preferred this announcement to come with immediate examples that they had worked behind the scenes. And I know that that's something that some other companies like Apple do like pretty well, where they don't tell you about the new thing until they've already, you know, kind of gotten some teams to build things so that you could imagine what's possible now. Um, I do, I do hope that we see some of these tools soon, sooner than later. So Absolutely. Next question. From Ronnie Hofsey in Tromsø, Norway. Um, if you need to train on mixing audio, you download a session of multi-track recordings. But what about training on video switching? Is there anywhere to download a multicam video archive from a concert, sporting event, or similar TV broadcast? Yeah, there's a little bit of content out there. There's not a ton. Um, there's some old traditional multi-track things from the early days of video. Uh, there, there was some famous gun smoke uh, uh, stuff that you could download and, and do some basic video switching with that. Um, I'm not sure. There's also a company that has uh, that's kind of specializes in this, and for some reason, I'm not remembering their name right now. Uh, if you want to watch video switching done at the highest level, you might want to do a search on Hamish Hamilton. He switches. Uh, he's the director at the Emmys, and he working with his A1 or, or uh, switch the woman who does the switching for him. They actually have Super Bowls, and you get access to the back channel comms. And it is an amazing thing to watch something like the MTV Music Awards or uh, the Super Bowl and being able to listen to the comms channel in the background, how much is going on, and you get to see how much they rehearse it, how many shots there are, and a good show caller literally in real time setting up cameras and going to them almost instantaneously over the course of a long complicated thing like a halftime show they have one where i think youtube was the uh was the performing group and and a bunch of other people and it's just fascinating to watch so look at that chris fenwick has some thoughts on so does guy chris yeah hamish is the best for sure uh and the way he works is he sets the mood and emotion. His AD is calling what the next shot is supposed to be. And his uh, vision mixer is actually cutting, uh, cutting based on what the AD is, is prepping. Interesting, on, a, on other occasions, 
Hamish will just wrangle like, I like these shots and let the vision mixer cut to what he wants when he wants based on what Hamish has called down from all the cameras. So there may be, you know, 16 cameras on, on a U2 stage and Hamish will be saying, I like this, 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 or this do what you want. Uh, the AD is in that instance is prepping, you know, guitar solo in eight, seven, six, you know, two, one, and then all of a sudden the edge takes off and does his thing. So um, there's a lot of different ways to do it. I, um, I will only say what I've heard Alex say here. Um, I know that this is something that Alex is very passionate about and wants to make things like that um, available. So uh, um, stay tuned. I think we're going to see some, some uh, content like that coming out of content and training coming out of uh, Office Hours. Ooh, exciting things. Guy Cochran. Yeah, it was really interesting when we had Nate um, with uh, the project that Sky Gleason was doing with Mad in the Kitchen. We were able to hear comms and and uh, hear him switch the show. Uh, when we were trying to find something for a, a vMix in the Cloud training, we did find uh, some footage. Uh, Jonas actually was the one that found it. It was uh, a uh, like BattleBots robot sporting event, and there was multicam, and uh, we could put the link in the chat where you could download Ooh. it. It's free to use. It's royalty-free. It's some Excellent. monster files, though, but it is uh, multicam and ready to download. That's great, because the only way you can really learn how to do this is by doing it. So to get multiple synced cameras where you know that when you're taking from camera A to camera B, uh, you're, it's not a jump cut that everything does. It, it, it's a different kind of thinking, and that's very, very cool. And I agree with Chris. It's just... Um, some of the guys and the men and women who do this stuff for a living and the professionals. I love actually what you said about the fact that we've always said, hire the best people you can. But then there's another level, which is let them do what they're good at and don't try to remain maintain control yourself of things that other people can potentially do as well or better than you do. Trust them. And that's how you build loyalty a lot of the time with a, with with your crew. Imagine what those people on the boards thought the first time that he said, you guys just pick what you think is good because I trust you. Boy, that's how you build high performance teams. Uh, next question. On to Chris Fenwick from Emeryville, California, and here at our panel, Chris says, we've heard Mr. Lindsay talk about sound desks from Loud Lab on several occasions. Does anyone who is here know if you can select different virtual inputs per channel on the mixer? Chris, unfortunately, I do not. I know nothing about that. And yeah, I, I realize there's a typo in there uh, using the word here when I'm meant a location. Um, what I'm trying to do, and I'm just going to throw this out and everybody can mull it over and somebody here may have, have an idea. What I'm trying to do is a combination of a digital mixer where I can create using loopback, I can create outputs from individual apps, okay, and patch, <coughs> excuse me, patch each app via a separate loop, loop back channel into a separate uh, fader channel on that mixer and then tie uh, some sort of MIDI-controlled physical um, interface to control the feeds from all of those apps. And then 
I want a little bit more control because I want to be able to peel certain apps off and decide whether or not I want to stream it or not. And most of the digital mixers in my cursory um, research, you select an input, like say, you know, a, a 32 channel card that has a bunch of stuff that's coming from the outside world. And I want to be able to select virtual inputs and not from a, a thing. So I don't know. Everybody think about that. Maybe maybe I'm not describing what I want to do or it doesn't make sense why I want to do it. But uh, nonetheless, that's what I'd like to be able to do. And I'm sure between all these people and all this stuff that's out there and on that internet thing, we'll, I'll find a way. And you want to switch to the apps, or, or is the app running content? Are you looking for the content yeah. that's coming yeah. to the apps, not the app itself necessarily? Uh, well, well, exactly. So like, I'll give you a for instance. And I can do this now with Audio Hijack. But the user interface is clunky, and uh, Rogue Amoeba doesn't, hasn't, they claim that they are going to give us hardware support, like say a Stream Deck would, would help. Uh, but it's, it's not here yet. So what I what I use Audio Hijack for, actually, you know what? I could show you here real quickly. Let me just okay. We're ten minutes before it. the top of the hour, so uh, all right, all right. I'll make it quick. So I don't spend too much so time. So here, yeah. here's here's a thing, and basically what I've done is I have uh, the output of Zoom here. It's it's is it running? No, it's not running right now. Here's the output of Zoom. Here's the output of my Unity comms. Here's the output of my editor. Here's the output of Safari, and this is just the rest of the Mac. And what I want to be able to do is quickly adjust volumes to those and then decide um, through the various outputs, like this output is my headphones and this, uh, well, this would be my wireless uh, earbuds, and this output would be what I decide I want to stream. So when I'm on a meeting and I'm editing with a client, I can go, oh, here, let me play you this sample music from Safari and I can click it and fade it out. I can send it to them and even adjust the level in case we want to talk over it while we're listening to some sample music. Anyway, it's a, it, it, it might be a very fringe need that I have, but I want to be able to, I want to basically be able to mix my applications like their sources. That and seems again, like something reasonable. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a little weird. I understand uh, uh, most people don't need to do this, but it's a fun challenge to figure out the the um, the best way to do it. Okay, we've got 10 minutes to finish up the rest of these questions. But Chris, uh, the word is out there. We'll see what comes back. Next question. Tyler Roberts, Cham Chambersburg. What cameras are being recommended for high-quality virtual production, single-person giving presentation through Zoom and recording? They prefer shallow depth of field, so a lens is probably needed with a good autofocus, USB-C and or HDMI out preferred. Jonas Dattel to start us. So I wasn't sure what type of virtual production you mean. Um, there's the virtual production where you put the background virtual, that's a virtual production, that's the typical office hours thing. For a typical office hours, we started uh, Insta360 Link. Uh, that's what we use in all our, all our remote kits. It doesn't give you at, as much uh, background separation as some uh, other more um, expensive DSLRs, DSLMs do. But I think it's a good starting point, and then you probably will quite quickly jump into something like a GH5, a BGH1. Uh, on the Sony side, the A6500, I think, is a good one. Um, that plus a capture device is where you're going to jump to. Um, 
And I think that would be a good solution. Otherwise, um, if you mean more of like people actually walking around in a virtual set, uh, the Canon PT sets are quite uh, good because they have 3D, which allows you to get all the tracking data from them into something like Unreal Engine, which is like the typical standard. So now you can have AR objects floating around that uh, work if you pan around. Um, yeah, that's what I would do. And so, like most of the cameras now don't even require a capture device, like the BGH-1 I'm on could work just with a USB-C cable. Most of the Sony's uh, C have a similar feature and if you need a super great cheap camera the panasonic lumix g70 or g7 you get it cheap it still is a great camera mitch real quick well you didn't say how much you spend but uh, i'll go down a little bit um talking heads uh the efr7 the new uh, panable sony camera and sony's have the most beautiful auto zoom on the planet. It uh, just works better. And I don't think black magic design does that. Um, so I would say uh, for your case, uh, an FX three FX 30 uh, would probably get the job done. If you want to spend a little more money, FR seven, and you can mix that up with an FX six because they're the same sensor. Next question. Next question coming in from Zach Phillips in Philadelphia. Does zoom still make everyone else log in every single time you use it? Or is that just me? Related, anyone created a UI automation hack for getting Zoom links to open in Zoom ISO? Jonas, Mr. Donald, can you help us out? So yes, it still requires me to log in every time right now. I do use the SAC tokens, so uh, that's the workflow that I've been doing. I have a custom little script that gets the SAC token, that way I don't need to log in. That's probably a great way to automate the login procedure, because with UI, what you'll find is it's a web interface that opens where you need to confirm it's a typical OAuth process. So that will probably be hard to script. I'm not sure if Apple allows you to do that. And then if there's an UI automation hack for getting Zoom links to open in Zoom, so I don't think that's a UI hack you want to do. There are some old apps in for macOS that allow you to reassign a protocol where it opens. So you, if you switch a Zoom MTG protocol to be opened in Zoom ISO, that should work. Otherwise, you might need to have an intermediary that translates that into an OSC join action. Next question. From Michael Diamond in Ireland. How can I send six video signals, one 4K wirelessly, to six different TVs in close proximity? Uh, I think the only way to do that is to get six little onboard camera transmitters and six little uh, wireless receivers for that. There, you know, you will try to do it through some of the other uh, low-power wireless things, but I'm not sure you can get six to work smoothly. Uh, you know, in the next hour, maybe you want to uh, address this to our friends in the sports world who are doing all sorts of uh, cameras for sporting goods and maybe they are sporting events and maybe they use some that are wirelessly. But I think most of those uh, complex things require a and i'm trying to i've been trying to remember rack my brain to the the top brands there are a couple of them they're not inexpensive but i i don't know if there's a cheap solution maybe we'll find out in the next hour for right now let's go to the next question douglas carmichael wants to know what would be the lowest latency dante interface for a mac if you can't get the pcie card mitchell not sure which dante pcie card there's a lot of a lot of them out there but uh if you want to do it uh these little avio uh, modules work great. Uh, they have a, a C and an A uh, one that uh, goes USB into your Mac. They work. Uh, they work a treat. There you go, Dante Avio. Next question. 
Stefan Fischer in Würzburg, Germany. One of the new waiting room features that Zoom provides with an extra new switch in the preferences on the website. Yeah, we talked about that a couple of days ago. I don't use that very much, so I didn't pay a tremendous amount of attention. And I'm not seeing anybody else on the panel who is uh, waving me down for this one. I do know there are extra features that the last upgrade allowed, but I don't know how to send you to that to uh, get them there. So you may have to come back and oh, try another day or is, let's see, why has suddenly Zach popped up on my monitor? Zach, it's nice to see you, but I don't think you raised your hand for this. So <laughs> let's go on to the next question. Mark Homer from Snohomish, Washington. When did the term vision mixer come about? I worked in TV news from 1987 to 2008. Don't recall hearing vision mixer. We had switchers run by technical directors, TDs, who punched the show. That's because you're on this side of the pond, as they say. I think pretty much technical director was the American term. Vision mixer was something that came out of places like the BBC in Europe. And uh, it's just localizations of things. Mitch, do you want to make a comment on it? Yeah, you just said it. It's uh, The Brits had their own way of uh, naming things. Uh, they also have a way of uh, uh, changing. Like, for example, I used to be a disc jockey. I always hated that. Um, they call them presenters over there. So I like that term much better. Chris Fenwick had a quick thought. It is a different name, but it's also a slightly different responsibility. The vision mixer quite often is given more creative latitude. I remember when I was a kid in the 80s, working at my first TV station, I kind of resented that the production manager, who was often the technical director, when when I switched to show, he called me the switcher. And I was like, ah, that's kind of a piece of equipment, isn't it? Can't I be the technical director? He's like, uh, that's a lot more responsibility. I don't know if I'm willing to uh, uh, impart that responsibility on you. Uh, eventually, I got him to, uh, it was just a point of personal pride. I just thought, I just thought Switcher seemed stupid. But um, uh, eventually, after uh, more um, uh, upbringing, whatever you want to call it, he, he changed my title to technical director. For me, the one that got to me was the director of photography here and a lighting cameraman in the British system uh, formed functionally the same jobs. And I didn't understand how much more than just any sort of camera operations uh, a director of photography did until I kind of got into the industry and spent some time understanding that that's a very high level artistic position as much as it is a technical one. I think the people who are directors of photography and lighting cameramen in the other system, uh, they have to understand deeply the technical side of things, but their, their task is as much aesthetic as it is purely technical. Mitch, you had another quick thought on this? Focus puller. Oh, another yeah. great one. Yeah, well, yeah, in the Hollywood system, especially with the unions involved and things like that, the individual tasks, individual jobs are very highly regulated, and you can do certain things and you can't do other things. Uh, we're going to really quickly take one minute on this next one, but actually 30 seconds, because we're going to then toss to our next segment. So uh, next question real quick. Douglas Carmichael asking, I've been struggling with a loss of my creativity musically after some stressful family events. Would a course like EDM Prod's offering be a useful tool to help restore it, or would a lesson app like Melodics be better? Coordinate literally 30 seconds, and we'll be gone. I don't know. To restore your creativity, what you might want to look like look at is some of these uh, AI-generated music generators, because they can create a lot of new creativity, which might spark some creativity on your own behalf to use uh, the tools that you have. So uh, look into Avia, uh, Eckert Music, SoundDraw, 
Boomy, any of these AI music generators uh, to you know give you a little creative. There we go. And that means we are heading into our second hour now. Thank you all for the first hour participation. Um, we're really excited today because we have two of our dearest old friends who have a really exciting presentation for the show. Uh, I've been looking forward to this for days now. Uh, both Jeff Keithley, our, our friend here, has is going to take us, wing us away to Florida. And he's set up there where he and Sky and some of our other friends are going to be talking to us about coverage of live sports and they're going to be doing it through the venue of taking us right to a live sports event jeff how are you this morning whoops hi so you're muted a mute button look at this <laughs> i'm great <laughs> hey we we've got layers and layers of things here uh you have no idea wait there there's times that i still scratch my head whenever we pull off some of these things and uh add office hours to the mix and just makes it that much more fun so we're glad to be here today. Uh, got a lot to, a lot of fun stuff to show you. Looking forward to seeing some of the questions, and uh, feel free don't be uh, don't be shy. Absolutely, and I I see in my grid a picture of Sky, and that should tell you what we're going to be doing today a little bit. Sky, yeah. how are you? I'm about a hundred feet up off the ground here <laughs> in the stadium here in Delray, Florida, and uh, we thought we'd give you the bird's eye view. But they don't put people up here because I think it's too high. <laughs> you look great. And it's a fabulous shot. Uh, Jeff, this looks like a very, very, very complex live sports situation here. Can you talk us through some of what you did sure. there? So the basics of this event is we're doing an eight-camera shoot. Uh, we're using our 4K camera rigs. Uh, uh, we have some new four, UC4000s or Panasonic cameras are, are across all our board. We have some UC4000s and a mixture of our UB300s on robotic heads from uh, Mark Roberts, uh, one of our favorite robotic head vendors. The cameras are, are around the center court or the stadium court, as uh, most people call it. And the secondary court, we had a three-camera shoot on it also. So we actually produced two different courts through the course of the day. Uh, the majority of our broadcast uh, through the year is a worldwide broadcast that goes out to the gaming or betting houses or that are overseas. It's not really a big, as big a thing here in the U.S., but our major feeds are going overseas. Uh, for this event specifically, we're contracted to do the TV broadcast. So we are actually broadcasting to the tv world feed it's over i think it's like last count 142 different countries are picking it up through the uh, world feed and so world feed basically means we have something that's it's sanitized it's simple it comes from here goes up to uh, well it doesn't actually go up it goes over because we're not going to satellite uh we're actually going across the internet there's uh, three different encoders that are built in uh that they're using from Tata uh, Communications provides this, the streaming support with ATP Media. That goes across the internet, goes to the BT Tower, which is in London, and that is then uh, managed by IMG that does the production and creates basically the world sanitized feed. What that means is some of the broadcasters that are picking it up, they will get the feed as it is. And so it's, it's just Nats or, or uh, effects mics. And uh, that is it. And then they put their voiceovers, they put their local regional voices over the top of it for commentating. The other side is they do provide commentators, which are offsite commentators. And those are done in uh, Britain. Uh, I, think, I, I think they're also in the BT Tower, if I remember right, too. So it's a kind of a localized production uh, facility there. Uh, phenomenal facility, by the way. 
So that is the basics of it. So this is our feed now going out uh, currently right now. We actually are on the air. We just went on the air at the same exact time. Uh, we're on the air, but we're going over to the gaming side right now. We're not on TV until uh, 1 o'clock our local time here. And uh, so we'll, we'll have a good solid hour of questions and answers. And I've got a little less demands at the moment because we're not on TV. But uh, yeah, that's pretty much the, the basics behind it. So I for something, want to oh, in, I want to throw in some. I want to throw in some fun facts because we were here since a week ago, Tuesday, and in all of the cabling and the setup that Jeff brings in, we started calculating. It's over eight thousand feet of cable, and that has to get strung for all of those different monitors and different cameras around the different parts of the stadium to feed back into the truck. And we couldn't figure out fast enough how many bananas for scale that is. <laughs> That's a pretty significant number. How much time have you been on site? Did you guys get there like a week ago? And uh, it was we were on Tuesday. We did part, what's called park and power on Tuesday. Basically, got the basics of the internet also sorted on uh, Wednesday morning, and then from that point on, it was rigging, as we call it, uh, from friends of our overseas talking about that little bit of differences of what they call things. They call it rigging over there. So we laying cables, setting up. And uh, basically, it takes about three days uh, to do an event this large. And it was a team of four of us that were doing it. So, uh, and, you know, that's pretty much just an every week thing for us. So you were talking about numbers, you know, 8,000 feet of cable. It's honestly not that much cable. We've ran more uh, in times. Um, fiber is a beautiful, beautiful thing because um, I, 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 I chuckle all, my, all the time when I hear about, I've got a really long reach. I've got to go almost 100 feet. Our, our fibers are a thousand feet and every one of them are uh i think actually the shortest one's 500 but you know they, it's it's whatever you're in this world you're you're needing to go from here to there you don't want to worry about i need a joint there or is that joint going to fail or any kind of connection type thing so we're we're pretty much uh point to point on all our fibers so they go to a switch and then they may spur off of that switch uh to other directions too for that matter too have so you left all your basis. copper behind? Is Triax not used at all? Are you pure uh, pure optical? Well, Triax, you're dating yourself there. Uh, I know that's no, what I'm saying. No, no person in the right mind uses <laughs> Triax right now. Uh, it is that is just heavy. Oh come on! It builds terrible. muscles in your upper body to no, carry no, no. a hundred foot no, no, roll no, no. of that stuff around. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, great. All right, Scott, I'm going to toss it to you. Hang on, I'll be right back. Well, another fun fact is I'm used to doing maybe, a, you know, one's worship service or, or one corporate event. And you, you set, you know, weeks in advance, you do all your preparation and we do the one event. Well, if you can imagine with two different courts running for the first four days, there each court having at least four different events. So I think that we calculated uh, one, one of Jeff's team members we're doing over 54 events over a nine day period. And so these, these are long days. Absolutely. And so each court has its own feed into the central, uh, is that, is that how it works or is it main court and a couple others? How, how, how big is the area that you're trying to cover here? This is the central court and it has, I believe it's got, uh, eight cameras on it and we'll be, Jeff will be showing you those here in a little bit. We, took some behind the scenes videos of that. And then there's a second court that again, in a tournament series, you're narrowing down who's the next player and going up in the, in the rankings. And so that's on a second court in this location uh, on the other side of the uh, 
facility here in Delray. Nice, nice. Um, I'm not sure if Jeff's back with us right now. We might get to a, actually we've got a couple of people in the panel who had questions. So let's start with John Preto. John. Hey, Jeff and Scott, good to see you guys, and thank you for coming on. I was just wondering, how many lizards has Doug caught so far? Because that's all I see him posting on Facebook. Or or is this sponsored by Geico? It is. It is. Uh, again, we're, I, I was told we're, it might as well be an island as far south as we are here and uh, near the Bahamas, I guess. But there are lots of lizards running around, and it's it, they don't have those in indianapolis i guess so doug's been quite an intrigue as long as they don't have fiber optic cable as part of their diets you should be okay that's very important uh I'm mitch, back for my cats <laughs> mitch Hill, got a question. hey sky hey jeff uh, good to see you guys and enjoying the weather out there uh sky uh we're of a certain age and um cable sherpa was not one of the titles i saw on your credentials um how are your knees holding up uh, these are doing fine. Thank you. It is the sunscreen quota that I've kind of, uh, OD'd on because they've got a lot of sun here in Florida and very few clouds. So ironically, I, my partner that I sit next to down there on the court, there's two side cameras and I looked over at him and he looked like something out of the Dune film series because he was completely covered up and his little eyes were poking out. That's all you could see. Everything else was completely covered because it's pretty intense having sitting in the sun for you know eight hours a day yeah, having done most of my career in scottsdale i can appreciate that when when the sun is out you want to have every square inch of yourself covered up in some form or another Chris I, ironic oh, oh go ahead well, Finish, yeah, yeah, ironic, ironic, ironically the sun consistency is awesome it's when you get the clouds the other day the poor shader is now trying to manage eight different cameras riding the irises up and down and the TDs going, iris up, iris down, iris up. So it's been, uh, we're very fortunate to have a gentleman named Omar managing all of the cameras and he's doing a brilliant job. Yeah, the football stadiums that had open roofs, we had the same thing in the Phoenix stadiums. There would always be a really hard shadow, and it would usually be right down one half of the field and causing all sorts of nightmares for the poor shaders after that. Chris Fenwick, you had questions. Yeah, Omar's probably chasing the color balance as well. So, Sky, it it didn't really occur to me till you said it that it's a little bit cruel for Jeff to bring a guy from the Pacific Northwest <laughs> all the way down to Florida, you couldn't ask for a bigger change, I don't think, in climate. Are you holding up okay? Are, do you have enough shade? The irony is I realized I just came from the Pacific Ocean. I'm very fortunate to, to live out there and that Jeff offered me this opportunity and I jumped at it. I'm now literally a mile from the Atlantic. So you've, you've diagonally cost the country at the largest stretch you can. You went from the tip of the Pacific Northwest to the bottom edge of Florida and the near the Keys. I'm, That's I'm looking forward to any excuse to meet up with Jonas and in Belfast as we on, go on our way to South Africa. I think that should be should be on my radar. It's amazing. But uh, getting back to the production here, can you tell us Please. a little bit more about what, what, what are a few of the things that you've seen there that have really impressed you about a, a production of this scale? Well, as we had the opportunity of bringing three different production companies together at the Office Hours Space Experience, I'm seeing individual companies have their systems in place, but even those systems are constantly being modified adapted and changed because of technology 
uh, budget expenses. It's great to have Doug Ferguson here, which of course has his own systems and has kind of adopted a lot of what, what Jeff does for the live sports concept. And that's the other realization is this is live sports. This is not narrative, but there is still story. And consequently, it's been fun to be uh, have the opportunity of working with different switchers or directors or TDs, however, you, uh, show callers, and hear their style, particularly with sports, because you've got eight, eight different options around this stadium. And what you're doing is telling the energy, you're capturing the energy of the moment. And that's where, for the audience's sake, one of the, the, the TDs says, or actually one of the directors, name is Kim, and he's calling this show right now, has a completely different style. And he told the camera ops, he says, imagine that the audience is all looking at this on an iPhone. So I want close up. I want to see sweat. I want to see emotion. I want to see. And so that that's a responsibility, but it's really hard to manage those cameras while they're moving, <laughs> constantly moving. How, how many people are on the crew for this? We have four camera operators that are physically managing four. Uh, one has a big uh, box lens over here. And that's, um, I, I don't know if you can see it, can't see it over there. And then there are two side cameras that each is pointing to the different ends of the tennis court. And then on the floor down here next to the uh, contestants or one, you know, the tennis players is a over the, on shoulder camera. And that gives a lot of energy and can get right in. <clears throat> Sometimes the players don't care for that camera in yeah, we had we had an experience yesterday with a player that uh got a little testy uh with kim is the guy that's running the handheld camera and he was like right in their face well oh, he wasn't it was he was too five intrusive. feet away but he was still he was a little bit of a little bit pushing and so interesting they uh, tried to kick the camera uh <laughs> i've got a fix for that sometimes too so uh, i can get back to things here i had just uh, a little hiccup of uh and that's the beauty of live anything is there's always hiccups and so we had a little hiccup and we were just overcame it the key of uh, any system design as i've said before is about redundancies and backups and and making sure that no matter what the show goes on and so that's exactly what we did with just a couple button presses we flipped over to a different transmission path and now we're back up to 100 uh, it helps with having a team you stay calm you work your way through it don't throw too much around at each other, whatever it happens. Uh, so let's get back to what we we're talking about. Uh, Sky, I'm going to let you go ahead and, and get on the move. So that way you could go down to like camera seven and uh, show us kind of a, one of our new beauty shots. Where Sky is right now is kind of one of our top uh, shots. Uh, it's very similar to what we call a beauty shot. It's a little bit further to the corner from where he is right now, but he's going to move down to our new uh, camera seven, which is a side beauty. And uh, it's just the beauty is but something is an establishing shot many times. Now, there are close-up cameras. The ones that are really doing all the major work are cameras one, two, three, and four. Three and four are our side cams, as he said, that are going to shoot across the court at the player. They basically have one or two players to worry about, and then also a little bit more of the entertainment that happens to come in. Our real important camera is our one with a big box lens is the camera two. Camera two is a follow camera, so it's following the ball and the tracking and everything, and that is a specialized talent. Um, I've got a guy that's been doing it for 30 years plus, and uh, Derek is just absolutely phenomenal at following the ball and predicting where it's going and things. He, he's next. 
used to play tennis, so it helps a little bit to know a little bit behind the sport. Uh, and then uh, our camera one is actually uh, every one of our cameras are moving or, or controllable. Uh, so we don't use any that are quote, fixed, even though they may seem fixed at times, like our camera one position. Uh, what Sky has right now is our actual beauty cam. You can see that if, if anybody could put that up in a two up. I don't have the capability of doing that here through the Zooms. But that is basically what our camera kits look like. As you can see, it's bagged, so it's ready for weather because we can't get to it fast enough if we have uh, rainstorms coming in. Let's face it, we're in Florida. It's going to rain sooner or later. So then uh, the head that it's sitting on, like I said, every one of our cameras, thank you, Scott, head to seven. Uh, so for every one of our cameras, we actually do have robotics underneath them. So it doesn't. we don't have to send somebody up to tweak it. We don't have to send somebody up only if it just stops working and, and it doesn't uh, work anymore. Then, yes. But uh, if it's something we just need to reframe or move a little bit out of uh, a different uh, different shot, that's easy to do off of our robotics. All our paint, all our shading is all done over IP. So it doesn't matter actually where our shader is. Our new system, we use the Scarhoy panels to interface with all our Panasonic cameras instead, and also their ROPs too, uh, ROPs uh, or RCPs as some people call them. So those are all IP based. So our shader is actually in the trailer next to us. If you can show us the uh, TV compound uh, that's on the Live Sports TV feed, you can see that uh, there's a black trailer, which is our one of our B units. And that unit, along with our van, and that's where we're actually inside right now, where I'm inside along with four, three other operators. And the trailer is just with, with all this bigger show, we have more stuff. So we had to bring more stuff. We needed a trailer to bring it. So that's where we put a lot, a lot of the, the extra gear and everything is in the trailer. It travels in that. Um, I did have a shot for inside the trailer, but we had to disconnect that uh, due to some uh, calculations that we didn't do well. As you can see now, what Sky is on is he's on seven, which is our another high wide beauty. Now this beauty is is set to do just the court and wide the court, and then see the crowd on the other side. It's a new shot that started using in the Australian Open. I kind of liked it. So we tried it out here because there is no seating in these upper decks. They they deemed, deemed them unsafe. So, of course, we climbed so up So they put you the guys there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> Love absolutely. it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was that was kind of a, a, a new shot we did this year. And it's, it's turned out pretty well. I, I actually kind of liked it. Uh, then, uh, Sky, if you'll make your way down in, in a changeover, remember, in a changeover, make your way down to camera five. And so that way uh, you can kind of show the reverse angle. So we have a reverse camera that's, yeah, he's kind of pointing to it down there in the bottom side. And that camera is a reverse down on the court. And it's a really unique uh, angle that we like uh, just to kind of give us something different other than just all the high wides or, or anything else. So you can kind of see the height there as, as guys walking down the, the steps and stuff. Uh, we get our steps in. Uh, doing live sports, especially these larger events. I, I, I don't even try to clock the miles. I just, I don't want to know. And uh, here in Delray, it's real. Delray Beach is just phenomenal. Uh, there's, there's like 20 restaurants, one block that way. And it is the best place to work in because you don't have to worry about where am I going to get food? What am I going to go do or things at night? And this year we really scored there's a lot of times we'll stay in Airbnbs, but I found one large enough for the majority of the crew, and it is only two blocks that way. So uh, it just worked out perfect this year. It's been a great experience. So let's get back to a little bit of what we're doing um, inside here. I'm just going to give you a quick bump around now. Hang on for the quick ride. Here we go. 
This is not one of my PTZs or one of my pan tilt heads. It's an Insta360. So I've been pretty impressed. That you can see Kim over there punching the show that's going out right now. And uh, you guys, most of you guys know this guy. Right? You've seen him around a little bit. There's Doug, Doug Ferguson's there. in the house. Yes, he's running the uh, three play system, which is what we use for replay. And uh, that is basically our, our main thing. And then on the far side over there is where a producer will sit. Uh, that's Dwayne uh, kind of hiding in the corner over there. He's got a face for radio, so we let him just uh, hide. It's okay. And then uh, on this side over here, let me see if I can slowly, maybe I can get it over there. All right, that's the other way. Let's go the other way. I'm, and I, I hardly ever drive this thing, but do you see? A little bit of magic arm and some of the other magic stuff. A whole lot of computers. I am sitting right next to a rack full of about nine computers along with some hardware and other things too. But, you know, it's one of those things that it really amazes me that uh, what we do is so virtual based. I mean, it's virtual because it's in a computer. It's not actually hardware that much anymore. We have a router. We have an SDI router. That's kind of our real major hardware piece, and that is just to send outputs and inputs to where we need to go. Some of the cameras that are running out there are running, they're all running fiber back to us. We don't use any long SDI or coax coming back, but we also would turn that, S that fiber into SDI for short runs into the router. Once it's in the router, then at that point, you know, it's, it's routable to wherever it needs to go. We also do use a lot of IP cameras, so we use NDI extensively throughout the network. I unfortunately can't show you. Uh, it's right above me in this monitor right up here. But we are using a Sienna processing engine, and that processing engine is what allows us to do uh, a tremendous amount of extra things uh, within our production. So we were able to create multi-viewers for our shader. So as, as Sky was saying, with eight cameras, it's tough for one person to run eight cameras. And so we created a very unique multi-view with them. That is, has four cameras across the top, four cameras across the bottom, but underneath each one of those cameras is a vector scope. So, a ve or a vector scope or a waveform, depending on what he wants. So, at a glance, he can see exactly where his levels are at every camera position. And uh, that has been a great, great workflow for us. Uh, a big change because there's a lot of sun, but there's also a lot of clouds. So, when the clouds come in, we got to adjust. Clouds come in, we got to adjust. Clouds come in, we got to adjust. Clouds go out, got to adjust. Uh, you can see on Sky's camera right now just a little bit of what we're The clouds today are a little bit slow. They're not moving. But what we had a couple of days ago, they were just coming right over the top of us just continually. So we'd be dark on the court, light on the court, dark on the court, light on the court. So that's kind of the basics behind the layout you can kind of see there. Um, I'm ready for some questions. If you are, Bill, I think we're yeah. pretty much caught up with most of our dog and pony show for the moment. That was great. Nice look through there. Yeah, we have a couple of panel questions, and then we'll head right into the viewer questions. Uh, Alexander, you had a thought quick? Yeah, so when you do these kind of sports events, is there ever a concern about a ball hitting the camera, and is there any kind of protection put around the camera? Do you put a cage around it? I don't know what you even do for that. Uh, duck? If you're good, Duck. <laughs> uh, no, we we've had balls hit cameras. We've had balls hit um, it, it, where we're at with the side cameras. It's very rare. And, and for the, the cameras that are up, they never get close to that. But it, we have had, uh, I think 
I think Sky got one this week, actually. Uh, just a little, you know, ricochet kind of thing. 100, 107 uh, miles an hour is not that hard, is it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's worth, you know. Thank goodness it wasn't a golf ball. Uh, <laughs> Courtney has her quick question before we get to the regular questions. Courtney? What is Sky using for his wireless remote camera right now? That is a very fancy iPhone iPhone. Yeah, very fancy iPhone on a movie. Uh, so it's the DJI movie that I had. And uh, is that coming in via Wi Fi access point that you guys set up? No, actually, we're just coming over uh, cellular. Uh, so it was easy enough to do that. Uh, we do have Wi Fi here. We actually, our tally system runs over Wi Fi. And so uh, our tally boxes that are underneath each one of the cameras uh, didn't have time or didn't actually get the parts I needed in order to integrate them into our UC4000s, which are traditional safety fiber chains. So I could have done tally over that, but I just couldn't get the parts in time. You know, availability, we're still fighting it. Those why those uh, phone shots looked fabulous. That's really exciting. All right, let's get to a couple of actual questions. Courtney, what's our, uh, uh, Mitch, what's our first one? Uh, Chris Widener from Lafayette, Indiana asks, uh, Jeff, every show has new challenges. I'm sure this was no different. Besides the behind the scenes, any new things you added for this broadcast, camera tech, et cetera? Uh, we did actually change out our whole infrastructure in the last two or three months. Now we're absolutely completely in Netgear uh, M4250s for NDI, and all our backbones and everything like that are on inter interconnected via fiber over those M4250 series. Uh, phenomenal set of switches, highly recommend. Uh, no real issues at all with those. Uh, we also implemented a new uh, router uh, setup that is our master router, which is a PepLink. Uh, this is the PepLink, uh, gosh, I, I can't remember the part number on this. I'm staring at it right now and it doesn't have a label on it. Uh, but it is a new PepLink that has two WAN inputs. And so we're actually using two WAN inputs that are from two separate modems. And then we also have uh, backup cellular on that. I opted not to run our uh, Starlink, even though we have it here, I'm, I'm not running it because the speed is not quite fast enough to be a true backup. So we do have backup and failovers on the PEP link between the two modems. So. And lenses. Think, oh, oh we've got some new lenses. Nice. Uh, the next question we kind of covered, but go ahead and read it out and uh, maybe have additional information, Jeff. From Keenan Campbell in Nevada, can we see the behind the scenes of the truck and the camp? Anything you didn't cover there that, you, that you'd like to pass along about your setup there? Well, we'll get, uh, Scott, why don't you go ahead and make it back to the truck here, since you're a little bit more mobile than I am, and uh, we'll, we'll get a little bit more glimpse in the trailer and also the truck space. Okay, so hang on, Keenan. Uh, he's going to get down there, and in the interim, let's go to the next question. Chris Widener from Lafayette, Indiana. Craft services is always important for live crew. Any prohibited foods in the truck? Ooh. No, no, or we, uh, foods or drinks in the drink. No, well, no, uh, our paration. There, there are two things when I come to South Texas or South uh, Florida. One of those things uh, is definitely plenty of food that is uh, Latin of flavor. Uh, but one of my favorite things that I find when I come down here is this nice little cup full. And I don't drink the whole cup. I made that mistake a couple days ago. It's only this much, but Cuban coffee. And for Ooh. me to be drinking out of this little thimble thing here, um, it just doesn't feel right. So I'll offset it with a nice big Starbucks on the other side. Uh, just it's kind of a chaser, which never would think that, right? But so you're, we, you're telling us there are no Southern barbecue sauce stains on any of the gear that you guys are <laughs> okay. running there. So we did try to go to a barbecue place. It's called Lucille's. It's a chain. No. 
No, no just I'm, I'm ready there. to go back to Texas and get some real barbecue. <laughs> Watch out. You're going to start a religious war here. Anyway, cool. Let's go to the next question. Guy Cochran, Seattle, USA. What do you use for replay? Uh, we're using a 3P2 and a 3P1. Uh, so that's the NewTek 3P3 play. So the 3P1 is a four-channel input, and the 3P2 is an eight-channel input. So we, in, we can adjust all eight cameras at one time and then play from any angle. So there's every once in a while, we hardly ever use the wide cameras as an angle, but every once in a while you might need it, and it's there because it's all recorded. All right, next question. Guy Cochran, again, uh, yes, again, is NDI being used in the production? Everywhere. Yeah, there's there's NDI absolutely everywhere. So uh, between machines, there's NDI. Between devices, there's NDI. Um, yeah, there's a considerable amount of NDI being in use. And most of it is all at 1080p60 because our broadcast go outgoing is actually 1080i, but sports just looks better progressive so we produce it into ap 60 locally and then we send it out after that part right i up. see for keenan's question that sky has managed to make it to the edge of the truck there sky are you I with do, us I, I am and i'm here outside the truck where there's bodies in in the truck and lots of equipment where would you like me to go uh, well, it looks like Jeff is otherwise engaged right at the moment. He's talking to somebody inside the truck. So can you can we see anything about the, the sure. black trailer before we hop into the other one? Just see how Jeff's sure. packing stuff to get there. Okay, I'm going to jump in on Omar, our awesome colorist human. Hey. And Okay, we're still still managing the, the managers and as, as it is. But, well, I don't know. That, I'll have to relay because they I only have the mic at my face here. So, so, uh, okay. So this is Omar. Oh, Jeff's back. Yeah. So if you guys see here on this side, I'm doing this all by eye here. You got these on auto Iris. And then these three, we put on Iris and the ROPs because we've lost control of all of our, um, waveform monitors. And so we're doing this as, as, as uh, organic as possible. Omar, what's the biggest challenge for something like an outdoor tennis thing? So you have so much sun movement. Oh man, clouds! Clouds are the biggest challenge. Honestly, the the sun's not too big of a deal since this this session's so long. From about eight thirty, we're to about uh, eleven o'clock at night. The sunrise, sunset, that transitioning time frame where the colors change a lot that causes me to go into the ROPs and do some manual adjustments physically on the red and the blue. I have to ride these all day long when there's a lot of clouds. So that, that's been the biggest challenge when it comes to the outdoor side. Besides that, though, I mean, it's relatively simple. Cool. <laughs> Looks like that. a great setup there. Thank you so much for the tour. Jeff, you want to continue? Yeah, sure. So on uh, this side over here, go ahead and open up the doors. Uh, we'll get the doors open. Go ahead and open up the doors so Scott can come this way. Copy. There we go. Oh, and the most important thing ever, uh, Scott, hold on. Dolly Wright. Dolly Wright. Anytime you're in a TV truck, the most important thing to do is you always have to park close to two things. One, you have to park next to the dumpster, and the other is go show them that orange thing on the side. It's just a quick view. <laughs> I know where you're going. <laughs> yeah. Pan right. Pan right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yep, you got it. There it is. It. You got to have it close. So, a dedicated Portageon that is crew accessible. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you, you would think it's a small thing, 
that is probably the one of the largest big changes we've made this year uh besides the a few of the technology side but uh it's just a creature comfort that uh with the, such a crowd i mean they may have eight or ten thousand people here and at that point in time when everybody goes on break at, at one time there's we have literally eight minutes between matches so we're turning over that fast. Uh, the guys barely have time to, to jump out. So it's been great that they can jump out, yes. run over here, and uh, you know, use the facilities and then recoup and then head on back. So I'd actually yeah, call that mission critical because if somebody has got to take a comfort break and, it, you know, you want them back as fast as humanly possible. So yeah. there's actually a production reason for that. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it makes a huge difference having accessibility. So inside Absolutely. here, let's go to the camera from Sky. Inside, this is kind of my workstation here. As you see, I've got my caffeine. I've got uh, my keyboard with touchscreen. This is my router uh, controls that are on side in so that I can actually have instant access to the router. That's the It's buried in the rack, but I don't use an actual panel. Uh, my comm system here, which has multiple channels. I have eight different channels that are all Dante. And then I actually have a, a, one of the Mark Roberts keyboard uh, controllers here. So with the joystick, I can grab any of the cameras and help out whenever the guys need a break or anything like that. The Almighty Stream Deck, which is actually running on, this one's running Companion, connected to Companion to control the TF uh, audio mixer. So we use scenes to be able to easily go between uh, different things. And then over there on this side, we've got that Doug there with the three play controller and his mouse that he's addicted to. He won't leave his hand off of it, though he can use a controller. And then we have his preview monitors on the bottom and then out, output monitor at the top that we always know what's going out to the world. On the far side is the other multi-viewer. And that is Kim there directing the other show that's going on right now. And then at the top up there is a monitor for his interface. And we use a um, Adder DDX, uh, which is a KVM switch system. And so at any point in time, we can just press one button or keyboard shortcuts and hop over to any of the computers. So of the seven computers that we have connected to the adder, we can hop over to each one of those whenever necessary. And that is, I can't believe, uh, when you were running that many computers or run as many computers as we are, it is an absolute necess necessity. Uh, little green light, people are gonna ask about that. The little green light is a call light. So we have one of those in here and we have one out in the booth upstairs that we have the Hawkeye people that are shown the bottom left uh, corner of the monitor there with the Hawkeye. So the Hawkeye is the digital line calling. So they have electronic line calling here. There's no officials on the court at all, except for the chair and the chair umpire. So they, they're the only ones that actually are on the court. Everybody else is all electronically called. So if the balls in or out, it all comes through this feed. This feed comes back to us. So if we need to communicate to them, they have our comm system up there also. We have that call light up there that flashes a bright red light and says, hey, pick up the comps, pick up the comps, pick up the comps. So that little smudge down there is where a ball hit, and that marks actually where it hit the court, and then the lines, whoever can judge whether it was in Yeah, there's out. there's an official upstairs that's actually making the final call, and that that system is actually within two millimeters accurate, two millimeters Right. And it keeps everybody on the same, yeah, on the same page as to calls. Courtney has a has an insider question. Courtney, yeah, sure. I was going to ask that if uh, the th your three play system is ever called into play uh, to call a close call, but it sounds like they've automated all that stuff now. On yeah, on so for judges, tennis, yeah. no, no, not for tennis. I, it is all completely electric line calling on this level. 
Now, whenever we do our challenges, which are the next step down, so it's kind of like the minor leagues of the pros, but they're still pros, but they're not made it to the tour level that, that is this. Uh, on the challenger circuit, we do use three play, but they actually have all, uh, all the officials are on court still. It's it's a money thing. It comes down to money, and Hawkeye can't do any more than what Hawkeye's already doing, which is a ton of different tournaments through the year. Interesting. Uh, well, let's go to the next question from our Wakanda friends. Yeah, from Guy Cochran in Seattle, USA. What buttons did Jeff have his hands on in the behind the scenes in After Hours Studio Technologies box for comms? Uh, this one right here, I believe it is. Uh, this guy. Yeah. All right. So that's the Studio Technologies Model 348. Uh, it is an eight channel in and out. Uh, so I can have eight different party lines mixed. I actually do mine a little bit different because I, I have so much stuff going on in my ears. And so I have a PL1 and a side shot. <laughs> PL1, it's live TV, guys. PL1, PL2. So that's party line one, party line two. Then I have a direct call directly to the CC umpire at Hawkeye. And then I have a, a direct call to the ATP operator, which is over on the other, uh, in another container office that's on the side of us. And then I actually have the feed for the TF rack into my ears so I can hear the program audio in stereo in my ears. And these are actually Sennheiser 300 headphones, uh, so headsets. So they're really nice and clean. And when then I see also Motorola Walkie there. Is that like facility security and things yeah, like that? In case it, you have to get it's, it. our, it's our gateway to everybody else, and I've turned it off. <laughs> probably it. a busy channel yeah if they if they need us i just just come get us uh no i can't stand the radios I, I, when you're on comms all day and it's nice and clear and everything like that but um you you hear a radio squawk and it just sounds like <laughs> oh and you know they just keep repeating it over and over and nobody can ever speak into them so i i keep it off most of the time so courtney had another thought about this courtney yeah, we haven't seen any audio mixing facilities yet. Are you just sending courtside mics for the uh, effects and all Negative. the other audio is all play by play is all oh, done in, no, in let me show you here. Great Britain. All right, so Scott's going to zoom in. He's uh, doing a fantastic job. So this guy here is our audio mixer. So this is a virtual. This is the TF rack. And so I have a T. So it's the same series as, as we actually helped. Uh, put into Doug's system, and it's a TF series, Yamaha TF series. And so this is the TF rack. Because we're so compact, we actually use the software interface into this along with the macros, like I said. Since we don't have announcers, we don't have commentators here. And then we also have the rack itself, which is down here. You can kind of see it a little bit. So that's all our audio mixer is. We don't need faders and things like that because we automate so much of it. So you're not ever, nobody's ever doing interviews sideline or anything. No, we from, do. Uh, well, not not during the match or anything mm -hmm. like that. We're we're actually not. Uh, there, no, we're not doing any kind of interviews during the match. Uh, that because this is a world feed. Like I said, it's it's more sanitized and it is effectively just you know going out and they're producing on top of it with commentators and such like that. Yeah. So this is a vanilla feed that they're going to put their own so, graphics and commentary package yes. on top of. Yeah, and so we have a very very specific uh, layout to the second that we have to follow on the openings and also on the exits for the interview. So we do an interview on court. And, and again, Courtney, that's all automated. I just hit a button and it brings up that one mic or two mics, uh, primary and a backup. And then that is what is uh, sent out at that point. It's just a player interview. So it's a guy doing this. It's, it's not, you know, like totally uh, sit down type interviews. We got but a yeah, ton the of questions coming in. Oops, go ahead. Part. Got, so let's go ahead. 
Yeah, we got a ton of questions coming in. I don't think we're going to get through all of them, but we'll get as many as we possibly can of your questions in. So, Mitch. Courtney Gooden from Hollywood, California, here on our panel. Since this is an open-air event, what do you do to prepare for sudden rain or high winds? So, meteorological. It's not a matter of if it's going to rain, it's just a wind. Uh, so, we have to be prepared for it. As you saw in those upper cameras, uh, it's very hard for us to get from here to up to there because it's about about four or five thousand feet uh you know walking around and getting up there so at that point in time we need them to be prepared and so we have what's what we call working bags and so the working bags allow us to still move the cameras and do everything that we need to do but it, it also allows us to have them rather waterproof now if it starts sprinkling that's one thing if we get a torrential downpour, downpour, we usually have enough time that we'll we'll put our our rain gear on and start working our way around all the cameras Whenever it comes to rain and tennis, it doesn't mix. They will stop play with two drops on the ground. Uh, the, the players, it is their livelihood. If they slip on a, a line and break an ankle or twist an ankle, they're out for months and they're out of their livelihood. So they don't play around and they'll pull the people off the court and you know wait through any kind of little slight drizzle and thing. Then we have to wait an hour or so to re to dry the courts. They pull out big dryers and blowers and, and uh, sweeps and everything. Uh, if we get a really bad downpour, we bag the cameras, power everything down, put up a slate, and and just wait it out. And Courtney, you want to do a those quick make some really long days. Let me tell you, really. If you have those really. high cameras on the on the outside of the, do you have any lightning protection? I know lightning storms are kind of prevalent over there, unlike they are on the west coast here. No, um, we, in some places we do. Uh, last year I, we do have some strikes. Last year. Uh, Winston-Salem, which is another larger event like this, an ATP 250 uh, tour event. Uh, Winston-Salem, one morning we had a lightning strike. Uh, we were actually in our tour bus at that point, so we we were all aware of it. It was raining because <laughs> it was shaking during lightning and everything. And then there was one lightning strike that had to be within, I would say, within 200, maybe 300 feet at most. Uh, one of my guys was out just morning restroom breaking, and uh, he said, I thought I was dead. Because he, I mean, it was just lit up. He felt it on his skin. I mean, it just, we, we all were like, whoa, that was big. Uh, we fried two cameras, or let me say the results of that were two cameras, four switches, three PoE converters, and about six other PoE devices. It only affected the things that were PoE. It was the weirdest thing. I've never seen it before in my life, and I hope I never do again, because it was a very stressful four hours to get live that day we Boy, still can you were put able some kind of lightning backup. arrester on a power over Doesn't internet matter. yeah that's weird Doesn't yeah matter. yeah we're, we're so interconnected we're, we have 10 or 15 lines going back and forth between us and hawkeye we have uh, audio going back and forth between us and the house we've got video going in the house there's no way to completely isolate each one of us and, and every one of us as providers we were all impacted amazing let's get to the next well, question Dan Burnett in uh, Warsaw, Poland, asking, do you have any tips and tricks for running long cables all over the stadium? Good question. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, Scott's going to look. All right, so this is this is our feed. As you can see, this is a two-rule reel. <laughs> don't do it just like two. this? <laughs> no, no, no. This is two reels. 
All right. So these two reels, one of those is a 500 foot fiber that's just going over the trailer. <laughs> so it's going 10 feet, 15 <laughs> feet. Uh, the other is the tag 12, which is our primary fiber that goes to the to the stadium. Uh, then on the uh, if you'll tilt up a little bit there, Scott, and you'll see as we have our entry point going in, we don't use a patch bay on our on our van. Uh, because most of the time we only have two cables going in and out of it. Fiber for video in uh, or video and audio and everything else, and then a fiber for the actual uh, internet coming in. Because we'll actually set a fiber converter out at the uh, at the ingest. Because usually they'll always put the internet like forever away from us. Now you can see some of the cables that are coming around. Now this fan, this trailer has a little bit larger patch bay that it's going into. And Scott, will you flip around and show us the cable paths going into the stadium? You can kind of get an eye a little bit more of how far things are going. So key things of laying down, you can never have enough and you will never have enough cable trays. Yeah, uh, I was going to ask you about yellow jackets or stuff like that. So yeah, anything many that people call them yellow jackets is a trade man. It's kind of like the Kleenex name of cable trays and such. Uh, then we're snaking around, and we have like five, six, seven wires or something like that. And there it goes, and 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 it goes. And there you can see the proximity to the stadium. So they're going all the way around. Once we hit the stadium, they just kind of spur out, and they go everywhere from there. Um, best practices: run it out of where people are going to be. Always protect it. Soon, and I train my guys: as soon as you drop a cable on the ground, you put a cable cover down. Because that is a liability, and like these, well, we don't have people walking here. But even across just this little bit of of uh, now that big flat big cable that ran after us, that's not ours. That's the generator to Hawkeye. They ran it at the last minute over the top of all of ours. <laughs> that's always fun, and, and that's nice. that's also where we see a lot of lizards. I don't know if that has anything to do with the power or, but yeah, this is I don't redundant. know. They, they do have a lot. There is a lot of lizards around this area. They like the. I think they like the buzz of the power. What if there's tiny bits of heat under there and they like the warmth or something? That's that's just weird. Anyway, next question. Next question in from Douglas Carmichael. I saw the Ubuntu wallpaper on screen. How are you using Linux? Uh, our Sienna engine, the Sienna processing yeah. engine, is running completely off of that. There you go. Next question. Eduardo Augustine from Panama. Do you build up your entire network or does the venue provide this? All I want from the network, I am a big proponent of I control my own to destiny. So all I want from the in-house network is strictly one thing. Give me an internet. That's it. And for here, we actually contract our own. So we contract in Comcast to drop two modems for us. And that's the orange cables you saw in that cable path. And so that's uh, RG11 uh, coax that comes out to here. We split it out to RG6 and then go into two modems here in the truck. So we actually have two different cable paths coming here that are coming off of their splitters. And then we have another set of cable paths that are coming or two separate modems that are coming off of that. So there's much redundancy as we can possibly manage. Next question. Michael Smith, Silverado, California, asking, is there a budget? And how in the world do you price a job like this? I've uh, been doing this for 35 years. And uh, sorry, but I'm not going to talk money. Today. There you go. That makes sense. Uh, next question. Stefan Fischer from Würzburg, Germany, asking a similar question. How do you calculate the price for such an event? Is the headcount the main cost driver or is the hardware? Are you able to tell me about the ratio? 
Uh, yeah, I don't mind sharing a little bit about that part. Uh, for for the majority of uh, our events, we, we are actually working under contract. So uh, we have fairly planned out just about all our, our expenses and what it takes on a given show. We know what the gear costs. We amortize that out. Um, and for the most part, we try to stay within you know certain budgets or, or hotels. And we kind of know what the hotel's going to cost it. Now, it has increased here in the last year, um, so it's substantially, <laughs> not not little bit, but also the travel size of the diesel uh, costing more, the gas costing more, you know, those are things that are fluctuating you just kind of have to plan for. Unfortunately, there's no magic number, no magic pill, but uh, we, we do have to keep an eye on those costs for sure. Absolutely. I hope that kind of answers your question. Well, I think everybody's always concerned with budgeting, but everything varies so much. And it sounds like you're looking at maybe a year contract or multi-year contracts rather than uh, going for just how do I put this one event on? Yeah, there's a lot of that. Let's uh, read out the next question. Alexander Knight from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. What are you using for microphones and where are they placed? Sure. Uh, I'm a Sennheiser lover. So we have Sennheiser's uh, 600s, uh, MKH 600s. And then the 416s. We, we have only two of the 600s out on this event. Everything else is 416s. And there's a complement of 11 microphones in place. There you go. Next question. Lenny Nelson in San Antonio, Texas, asking, how much recording archive do you have to do? Do you have to provide that data to the parent organization? So uh, our final output is always recorded in the... BT Tower, the far side over there overseas. Uh, but we do work at local records also, and it chews up so much hard drive space. It's <laughs> I could never have enough. And we have to cycle through it. I mean, you, I, I kind of laugh at times like, oh, it, Doug, Doug's one of those. He keeps everything. I, I don't keep everything. I we, we are contractually obligated to keep the semis, uh, the semifinals and the finals, and we distribute those. But um, I, there's no way we could keep, I everything, keep everything here. There's just no way. Uh, eight cameras coming in at full res into the TriCaster, or also in the TriCaster, but also in the three-play. And we record those all in the three-play. We have to dump the three-play probably three times a week. And which dump, I mean, basically erase everything in there except for the highlights we outputted. So we'll send out highlights every night. We drop those into a Dropbox or we transfer. Those highlights that, that Doug's created through the day for each match, those go over to the social media group and the social media group of the tournament distributes those out. What format are you mastering to for those sendouts? Uh, we're, uh, hmm, doesn't really matter, but... MOV. Uh, they're they're um, ProRes, ProRes MOV. MOVs. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next question. Next question from Jeff Dooley at Chicago, Illinois. What kind of vehicles are you using and how big is it inside? Uh, this saw, is a Ford Transit. Uh, and Sky can kind of see <laughs> a little bit there. This is a Ford Transit, extra long, extra tall. And uh, I... I almost went with sprinters, but I, I'm a Ford person uh, by heart. And uh, and the other thing is there's a Ford dealership everywhere where Mercedes and, and Transits, eh, not so much. And we are literally all over North America. So uh, for me, the, the ability to get to a Ford dealer anywhere and get parts if I needed to while we're on the road, uh, it's, it's worth it. Our trailer is a 14-foot uh, by 7-foot inside uh you know space is kind of open 
And then uh, the other event, uh, the other boxes that we're using now is actually containers. So there's a picture Sky has of, of the trailer. So it pulls really well behind the behind the truck or behind the van, either way. Uh, uh, the other thing we have is a container on the other side over there of the generator, and that container is one uh, an office container that is set up here for ATV Media along. And so they just have their encoders in there and then an office and stuff. Nice. Next question. Paul Buchan from Columbus, Ohio. How much do you wrap each night? So what do you leave out and what do you put away? Uh, cables, of course, stay down. <laughs> uh, we, 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 have, uh, we have a plan. Every, every event's a little bit different because it depends on, um, it really kind of depends on what the security situation is around here. Here in Delray Beach, the police station it's right there. <laughs> so that's kind of <laughs> nice. Uh, other places, um, and I'm not going to say where, but one of them rhymes with Stockton. And I will never go back there again. Uh, not, ah. we, we were held up by gunpoint. Ooh, yeah, that's yeah, a risk management night, problem. So, yeah. Uh, all right. Next question. Kenny Hampton is here from Greenville, Illinois, asking, how is AC power handled? Do all cameras, et cetera, get power from the truck? Is there power redundancy? Yeah, power comes to the truck. Uh, we have access to the generator that's out there if we need it, uh, but power comes from the shore power that we have. That's a, There's a pedal stole underneath the, um, underneath the trees there, and that power comes to us as a 50-amp service into each the truck and also the uh, trailer, each one of the truck meeting van. Uh, each one of those is their own independent 50-amp service, so 50-amp 220. And then we also have an inverter inside the um, we, we, would, we have UPSs, so there's big UPSs in the racks, but we also have the inverter in the van that with a, with a backer, uh, battery that's underneath my desk, actually, right now in front of me, uh, that it will run about 10 or 15 minutes, uh, and then we could, by that time, we can start the van, and it'll run indefinitely for a full tank at that point. But that inverter is a 3,000-watt inverter, and there's plenty to run everything that's in here. Next question. Eduardo Augustine in Panama how the shader apply? How, do, how does the shader apply the changes? Is that a different LUT or color correcting constantly? And who and what send the program feed after all that makeup? Uh, we don't use LUTs uh, in this setup. It's it's primarily his his responsibility is to make everything look right, and, and we give him input <laughs> a lot of it. And so uh, as we work our way through the day and everything. Nice. Next question. Paul Buchan from Columbus, Ohio. How much, if any, integration do you have with the event staff? Quite a bit, actually. Um, my my job is not necessarily on site most of the year. Uh, my job is working ahead to all the events and pre presetting everything, trying to make sure that we have cables, make, or make sure we have the cable modems put in or fiber uh, internet lines if necessary, uh, making sure that we have power. That's a big thing all the time. Um, even multiple events every year, uh, we can go back the next year and they're like, oh yeah, we, we've got more power. And it's like, no, it's not enough. So we have to work through those a lot of times. Uh, the uh, We have to you know kind of negotiate a little bit with the caterers, make sure that they're not plugging in the wrong holes and killing us, um, which happens at times too. So, 
So we're just a little bit shy of five minutes until the top of the hour. Um, I don't know if we can get Sky in a position. I'd like to kind of let, give you guys a chance to wrap up. Uh, you're such Office Hours insiders. You've been here since the beginning, and we really appreciate you letting us get a look at this amazing setup. Uh, Sky, can you hear me? And and I just wanted to get you kind of to close up and say, what, what's been the most impressive or interesting thing you've learned? Take a minute, a minute and a half, and, and how, what does it feel like to you to be there? I'd forgotten what humidity was. <laughs> In the Pacific Northwest, we don't have bugs or, or we sweat because we are in a, in a jacuzzi. No, this has been a, a, an awesome experience. I have had the good fortune of working with Jeff in San Diego, which is your home home ground, Bill. And consequently, I just appreciate the the professionalism and the differentiation between the hobbyist, which is is a lot of our audience here that uh, have pieces of equipment and want to use it, and the person that has to make a living with that equipment. And I think this is uh, we're all passionate in in our own own ways, but sometimes uh, I really appreciated what Jeff said about. Always have a backup. Always know that you're going to have to iterate. Always know that something's going to go wrong. So I think it's Alex's quote, my one quote for the day. This is for Mickey. You know, plan for rain. Be happy when the sun shines. So that's it's been a it's been a wonderful experience here. And again, this live sports event is completely different than my narrative history. It's completely different than my stage history. It's completely different from my. And they all use the same gear, but it's a capturing the moment is, I think, the consistency across all of that. Excellent. Thank you. And Jeff, this is fabulous of you to give us a chance to look at the world that you live in all the time. I want to give you a couple of minutes here to talk through anything. You know, what 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 are the messages? we got a lot of people who are interested in growing their practice up to where you have been for such a long time. And you're so good at this. What advice or what thoughts or what path do you think people would uh, – benefit from understanding from the year decades of experience here well the first thing it, it's just like anything I, a few of my guys uh thug's been doing this for quite a few years kim's been doing this for a long time uh he's 22 24 years into it i think uh Dwayne on the other side over there the, my, my main director he's been doing it for over 37 years i i've been doing this for 36 years myself um you can't learn it all in a day. You can't learn it all in a week. You can't learn it all in a month or a year. Uh, but you can just keep learning. And, that, and that's one of the things I love being part of the office hours because I, I love to be able to teach and share. And that, that's all we wanted to do today is like show you a different side of the world. It's not all about virtual meetings. And yeah, you guys probably know it. It's like I, I was involved with quite a few virtual meetings during COVID and, and, and have been since then. But um, live sports is is my love. I, I enjoy it. And uh, it just it's a lot of fun whenever you have that spontaneity of being able to adjust to the moment. And uh, I call it an adrenaline junkie for techs, tech guys. That's that's kind of basically what it is. Something breaks. It's like, how fast can I get to the solution? And uh, it is not a matter of if something breaks. It's, it's just a win, just like the weather. Just going to change. Wait five minutes. It'll change. 
Absolutely. Well, this has been a fabulous look. Thank you guys so much for helping everybody in the Office Hours family get a look at what you're doing. Uh, i got a couple of little announcements here to close. Uh, don't forget Team Opportunities. If you're interested in being a panelist, if you think you're ready, you can join the panel and be part of the Office Hours uh, family, so to speak. Uh, go online and, and check out uh, officehours.global, and you will find instructions on how to get there and uh, the form to sign up for training to get you ready for it. Uh, also, don't forget one great opportunity is right around the corner our NAB production team is going to come up pretty fast here April 17th 18th and 19th so you can sign up for that um, tomorrow Saturday Josh Kaufman is going to be here he's going to host the first hour and if you haven't been around on Saturdays it's really nice because we focus on a couple of things the first hour we do general Q&A so it's just like a normal office hours but on the second part of uh, our Sunday or our Saturday show every day every week. We uh, look specifically at education, and we have a lot of education experts who come in and take over the remainder of the show. Sunday is our introspection day. That's off uh, YouTube, so it's kind of behind the scenes. And so we deal with more philosophical things and just talk about the whys, the hows. We ask kind of a little deeper questions. So that takes care of everything. Thank you for being here. Roll credits, and we will see you all tomorrow. And, and and no lizards were harmed in the making of this production. Somehow, no, I they were. <laughs> Don't live with They're the lizards. They're geckos. Guanas. <laughs> There's a lot of them. So many little lizards. Doug wants to take one home to his cat. I thought that'd be horrible. Bad a lizard game. I got eight cats, so I'll, I'll take a lot home. <laughs> probably get canned lizard down there in South Florida. Love to have a plan, and then we did the show. I was, was six great. seconds long. I gotta, gotta get. Anyway, uh, great job, everybody! Thank you, Jeff. That was fabulous. Thank cheers. you, Sky, for oh, bless you, tramping all over that stadium. Those were beautiful shots. Yeah, started up there, ended down here. <laughs> Good fun. Put your steps in today. Huh? Thanks, guys. Yeah. Safe travels. You bet. Got to go to work. Say hi to Doug for us all. Cheers. Absolutely. <laughs>